Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I hope you have been enjoying what's going on this month. We have started our Pride Month celebration. Last week, we had our first episode kicked it off. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, please go back and listen to it. It was from broke to badass. And then, you know, what we've been doing here at Minority Money. I want to thank everyone for this. We've watched the downloads definitely increase as we have been asking you to share a show. So if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, we appreciate you very, very much. But what we've been asking for our first time, many time listeners to do is to share episodes with people that you love, people that you like, people that you don't like. Share the episode with anyone and bless them. I think that people have been, you know, I hear it all the time when people tell me about episodes that they shared or when people share podcasts with me. And I know that's a very, very great way to share something with someone that you want them to know or something with someone that they need to know. So definitely want to thank you guys for that. So as we start on this show today, this is, I've wanted to have him on the show for some time. This is my good friend, my buddy, my actual realtor, and just uh, all around good guy. We've been friends for some time and I've watched his career. And this is enough about me talking about him, but I want to have him talk about himself a little bit. And today we are joined on the show by Alex Salazar. What's up, Emlyn? How you doing? All is well. All is well. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you very much. Appreciate it for having me on, by the way. Yeah. So Alex and I have talked all the time. We've been talking about having you on the podcast for like a few years, just in passing. But yeah, we got to have you on. We got to have you on. So finally to yeah. have you on. Thank you. This has been good. So for the people that don't know you, Alex, please share a little bit about what you do, who you are, and uh, we'll get right going. Yeah. Well, like Emily said, my name is Alex Salazar. I'm a realtor right here in little old Madera, California, Central California. I've been in real estate for 18 years, all of my adult life. Been doing nothing but buying and selling real estate right here in little old Madera. I'm recently married to my husband. We've been together for 13 years, 13 years of my career, been with him. And yeah, just enjoying life. I own a team in Madera, which means I'm not a manager. I'm not a broker, real estate broker. I'm a team leader. So I have 11 agents who work underneath me and we work together to buy and sell real estate right here in the Central Valley. I've had the business now for four years, been opened up as a team for about four years of my last 18 years of my career. And yeah, we're just killing it out here and, you know, doing our thing. Yeah, man. I love it because I think about the career, I think about you starting and I think about, you know, the first, like when we met, I was working at the bank, you were just starting at your first real estate company. And I remember we were both like, I just started managing. So I didn't really, you know, we were both trying to figure out what we we're doing just to see the growth, not only on personally, but professionally as well, like professionally for sure, but personally as well, just watching you grow, seeing the relationship with you and Jose and having, you know, just watching it grow. And it's been, I can't say how proud I am of you and congratulations for the recent marriage. Yes. Uh, two weeks, two weeks ago, two weekends ago. So you got to figure it out. It feels longer than that. It feels longer than that though. <laughs> Okay, so talk to us a little bit about that. I know there was a lot of this, this is stressful to plan a wedding, right? It's super yeah. stressful, so but you got, you made it through. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. How was that? 
you know, doing that while you're still selling homes, working all that, trying to get through it. You know, Emily, I made a little bit of a speech during the wedding mm-hmm. and to kind of sum it up, COVID really messed me up. You know, I didn't get sick. Thank God I didn't get sick. And none of my close family members or friends got sick. And I know that many people out there are suffering or, you know, have suffered from it and everything like that. And it's a real thing. It's a real, real serious thing. But what I mean by it really messed me up overnight, like everybody else in the world changed. Right. And I spent the last two years really focusing or really actually, I think, accepting the fact that the things that people around me were the most important things. And, you know, it was I have to keep that growing. I have to keep that going. During that two years, I did go into a pretty good depression, lost a lot of weight and all that kind of stuff, and maybe realized that Jose was the most important thing in my life. And I could not let COVID or anything else moving forward separate us, take us apart or anything like that whatsoever. So I had to ask him to marry me. Now, I was a person before who never thought marriage was for me, not because I'm gay. And by the way, Speaking of my sexuality is the first time in my life speaking of it. Not that I was ashamed of it before, not that I was hiding it before or anything like that whatsoever, but it just wasn't my identity, right? Now I'm accepting it as my identity. I'm speaking about this is actually the second speaking kind of engagement I've done about my sexuality in the last month. I did another one for a group of high school kids at South Madera High School, a bit less than a month ago, right? A few days before the wedding talking about my sexuality coming out, my family accepting it, all that kind of stuff. And then now, of course, we're going to talk about it in business and how that kind of all relates. But anyways, COVID really messed me up in the fact that, you know, just really kind of focusing in on what was important to me, what wasn't important to me anymore. Like I said, kind of going through a little bit of depression, everything like that, and deciding that I needed to, that I wanted to be happy, that I wanted to enjoy my life. I wanted to get through the next chapter, that these were just chapters in my life, but I had to keep turning those pages. And yeah, asked him. And of course, he said yes. Jose, a little bit about Jose. He's a little bit older than I am. I'm 37. He's 42. He'll be 43 in a few days. And I'm number two of four kids. My dad passed away 21 years ago. Jose is one of 11. And him and his parents both live in Fresno. But his dad has 11 other kids. So there's 22 kids on Jose's family side. So large family, love, everything like that, too. So yeah, that's what comes into my life. Now, yeah, the last several months, the last year, if anything, kind of getting through the, my depression, getting over that, dealing with the business, dealing with community, dealing with my own income and, and everything like that, you know, moving house to house and everything like that. It was a lot of work, it was a lot of work to get to that point. It was a pretty big wedding. It was a pretty big event for us. And we just can't be happier. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work mentally, physically, all that kind of stuff, still kind of getting over it right now, even two weeks later. And then it's over, right? Like you do all the planning, everything. And then that night happens and it's like, it was like exactly over. We planned for, you know, all this months, <laughs> years, and it felt like it was 30 minutes and the night was over, right? Yeah. You know, like you, I think when I want to do something, I want to hurry up and get it done. Right. And my intention is always to do it well. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I set up for myself expectations, maybe parameters, how it's going to go down, who's going to be invited, for instance, in this case of the wedding and all that kind of stuff. And so the whole year, it seemed like forever, the entire year, right? When I look Mm -hmm. back in time, it seems like it was a a long time because it took me a while to 
get the planning going, get it started, all that kind of stuff. Really, the planning for the wedding was the last 90 days prior to the wedding, Mm -hmm. right? Really kind of hunkered down, focusing on my team, focusing on my business and my career, my personal life, my life with Jose, what I wanted to do. I set goals and expectations for myself with the mission of having a successful wedding. And then, like you said, overnight, it was done, Mm -hmm. you know, all that work. And I think, like I mentioned a second ago, I'm still recovering and I'm not, I'm not necessarily recovering. I didn't get sick or anything like that, but it was exhausting. And it was exhausting because it was all that work and it just hits you at once. Mm-hmm. You're just exhausted, you know? And so now we're just looking forward to the future. It, but it, was, it was a lot of work for sure. Balancing life, career, the office, the business. I have new agents that join the team. Of course, we have a market shift. We're going to talk about real estate here in a second. We have a tremendous market shift. It was already coming 18 years in the industry. I can see, you know, a few months in advance what's going to happen. I can see, I can kind of predict what's going to happen, at least locally, real estate market-wise, right? I don't do that to scare people. I don't do that to frighten anybody. It's nothing scary at all. But it is kind of sets you up with an expectation on how you're going to save money, move money, how you're going to raise it, how you're going to work, and what's going to happen after that, right? And so anyways, the last few months has been just part of that. Yeah. I mean, as we're talking about that, we wanted to get into real estate. So, I mean, 18 year career, you've seen the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, you know, the sideways markets, you've seen them all. So when we're talking about it, first things first, let's talk about real estate market, you know, now maybe we can do like a macro and then go micro, just kind of like an idea of what's going on in real estate. Cause I know that's a big question. A lot of people, you know, should I be looking at a home? Should I be buying? Should I be, you know, there's all kinds of questions people have. So what are some of the things you have to say about real estate right now? First of all, I think the general question, is it a good time to buy real estate, a house, right? The answer to that is the same answer where the market's up, where the market's down, recession or otherwise. And by the way, this is my third recession in my career. I think we're in a recession now. And it's always everybody's question, whether you're an experienced home buyer, you know, like for instance, you've purchased already a couple of homes in your lifetime, for example, recently going through one. Is it the right time to buy? It really isn't about interest rates. It isn't about what it said on the news or anything like that whatsoever. It's just, are you ready? Right? Is it the right time for you to move? Right? And the answer most of the time when you're actually raising that question is, yeah, it's right now it's the right time to move. So let's factor in all the other factors and why it's important to do that and make the right moves from there. Right now in the local market, at least, for instance, we're still experiencing, and this is the same thing nationwide, Still experiencing low inventory, still experiencing, of course, high interest rates. We have it here too. And all that kind of stuff is still the same thing here. I was just doing some quick homework right before you jumped on or we jumped on together. Interest rates today or this past week was 6.5%. This time last year was 3.3%. That's double in a year's time. And that's a difference of about five, six, seven hundred bucks in payment. That's a car payment. That's a whole car payment right there. That's a nice car, by the way. But that's a nice car payment difference in housing from one year to the other, right? That means that you can afford a little bit less house, but you can still afford a house. Interest rates are high, and economists are telling us it's high. The nation's telling us high. Everybody's telling us it's high. Your family members are telling you it's high. Your friends are telling you it's high. But guess what? What comes goes up must come down. So I think right now is a good time to buy. You're going to be able to buy, you know, still be able to afford a home, even new construction, for example. And you're going to write out that interest rate probably for a few months, and it's going to start trickling down again. 
Will it go back down to 3.3%? No, I don't think so. I think there were other factors nationwide and worldwide that made that interest rate 3.36% this time last year. I hope we don't experience those again. In other words, I'm talking about another worldwide pandemic like we had COVID. That was a big contributor to the interest rates going down so low. I hope we don't experience that again, but should they go down to 5%, from 6.5% down to 5%, yeah, you're going to be saving money. They go down to 4.5%, even better. When I bought my first home, my well, my last home, I should say, I was in almost at 4%. I wish I was in at 4.125%, something like that. And I had refinanced at 3.5%. And so if it gets down to 3.54%, for instance, well, then that's fantastic. But you're going to get in high. You're going to be able to swing that payment for a little while. You're going to get into a home versus paying rent. You'll refinance, save even more money, which then you can decide what you want to do from there. Buy another car, put it back into the house, keep making that payment into the house. And all you're going to do is just making yourself more money after that. So right now, it is a still good time to buy. It's a good time to buy because in this time last year, I'll give you an example. Say, for instance, here in Madeira, there might be 15 buyers for one house. That means that on average, if you had your house for sale this time last year, you probably had about 15 offers within a short amount of time. Within three or four days, you'd have about that many offers on your home. And those offers went above asking price. People were paying cash more than what it was worth, all those kind of things, swing around COVID money. They were really desperate to get into housing and trying to beat that interest rate and everything like that. Nowadays, if you put your house up for sale, you may not have 15 buyers, but you might have three offers. So that tells you that it's still a good time to buy. A little bit less competition. We're not seeing a whole bunch of cash thrown out there anymore. I think people spent all their COVID money, all their relief money. But so we're getting back to kind of normal stuff, even with high interest rates. And so, yeah, I think it's still a pretty good time to buy. You can still get into a new house. People are still moving up and moving out of their older houses, moving into larger houses or moving to different areas due to work. Maybe your family's grown, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're an example of that too. And so you take advantage of that shift and I think you can buy a house and it's still a pretty good time to do it. I have to agree with you on that. I think the people that have put themselves in a position to buy a home, nothing has changed. If you've gotten to the place where you like, first of all, if you're making the decision today to buy a home, it's a little different if you've already been in the market or you've already been thinking about this. The person that's making the decision today has a little bit of stuff that they have to do to get there. The person that's been looking for a home, it doesn't like, and I think about this as we were going through ours, right? So the interest rates were going up, the inventory is still low. We sold our house in 10 days. We sold the house in 10 days. We still needed somewhere to live. <laughs> like, it didn't, like it didn't matter what was going on, like with the market, none of that mattered because we had to have somewhere to live. So we needed to find somewhere to live. We weren't gonna, you know, we weren't gonna not find somewhere. So I think you're always gonna hear chatter in the background. You're always gonna hear noise. You're always gonna hear people, you know, asking that question if it's good time to buy or bad time to buy. But I think that the answer to that, like Alex is saying, you can go through interest rates, right? You have to look at the money. You have to do that. But biggest thing is, are you ready to make that move? And buying a home is one of the most stressful things that you can go through. So it is going to come with stress. Even in the best housing market, it's going to be yeah. stressful. So right. I think that people have this misconception of, well, it's not a good time because I can't have that stressful moment. I was like, well, it's always going to be stressful no matter when you do it. So don't let the stress be the one to hold you back. And if you have the ability, you know, if you have some, some savings, if you have the ability to, to be able to purchase a home, let me tell you this, when it comes to building generational wealth, we cannot underestimate the power of owning property. We cannot underestimate that. And I say that 
with love in my heart because I've watched my family do it. I've watched other families do it. When you own a home in the family, it changes the trajectory of your family just by home ownership alone. The schools that your kids go to, the neighborhoods that they'll live in, everything, uh, neighborhoods you live in, all of those things will definitely change. What's one thing that you have, as you're talking to people, you know, that are concerned, I won't say scared, but just concerned about this. What are some of the things that have been able to take people to the place where they're like, yeah, you know, I'm ready to buy it. What are some of the things that you've heard them say or seen them do to get them past that hump? to get them to say, okay, let's do it now. Well, you know, it is part of this conversation, right? Actually, this is all part of that conversation to try to get someone to be either on the fence, meaning, well, I don't know if I should or shouldn't. And some of those people, by the way, and I haven't really heard it this time around, well, I should have bought a house two years ago. I should have bought a house last year. No one is saying that right now. And the reason I bring that up is because, for instance, in the Great Recession, mind you, this is our third recession. I do think we're in a recession now. We were in a recession at the beginning of COVID-2. That was a prescribed recession back then, but we were in a recession nonetheless. So the Great Recession, the real one in our lifetime, this most recent lifetime, or of our time, people post-recession, as the market kind of started, you know, construction started again, people were going back to work, we were going from double-digit to single-digit unemployment, and first-time homebuyers were really kind of approaching the market. And first-time homebuyer programs really kind of really went to the front of the market at that point. People were saying, well, I should have bought a house. You know, I should have bought a foreclosure in 08. I should have bought a short sale in 2010, for example. And they were saying that several years later, thinking, well, when houses were 55% less than they were today, for example, I should have bought a house then, right? That's not the same thing that's happening now. People know that they should be buying a house. The people that I'm talking to, at least. And I think when I have these conversations with people who are really asking or talking about real estate, talking about buying a property, selling one, renting one, whatever it might be, these people have a real realization of, about their life and their finances and all that kind of stuff. And they're ready to make real serious moves. They want to know, not necessarily, is it a good time? In other words, that's the general question I think that average people ask, is it a good time to buy? But really, can you help me find a place? So in other words, no one's saying, well, I should have bought a house two years ago. They might be saying that in a few years from now, maybe three or four more years from now, they might be saying, well, I should have bought a house in 2020 because houses now, your house is going to be worth way more than it is in two years to be worth more than it is today. Mine too, by the way. But no one is saying, well, I should have bought a house two years ago. I waited. The interest rates had gone up and all that kind of stuff. No one's saying that. Everyone's saying is, I've accepted the fact interest rates are up. Gas is up. Everything's up. Jose and I bought groceries this morning to make breakfast. Up. Mm-hmm. Expensive. We bought like five things, almost spent 50 bucks. And everything's just super expensive. But we all have that realization of it. We all have that realization that everything's expensive and everything costing more. But I can still afford a house. I still need to live somewhere. And so anyway, so I think people are really just having, they're really asking, can you help me find a place that's going to fit me and my family's needs so we can grow and prosper for the future? You talked about generational wealth, for example, and I truly believe that real estate or buying real estate is the number one overall best way to generate generational wealth. And it's not so much, Emlyn, that you you or I buy a house And we're going to leave that to our kids. And that's going to be the fortune that they're going to live off of. Absolutely not. It's part of it. That's one. It is 
when your kids see you and your wife manage that house. We don't talk about that at all. We don't talk about it in school. But when they see you managing the house, right now, before we jumped on, you talked about your sprinklers weren't working. You have to call your realtor to get someone out there to fix their sprinklers, for example. But that was managing the situation, a small problem in front of the house. And we didn't let it, it probably cost us a bit of money, but it didn't hurt the wallet. And it was something we had to do. Sprinklers are not a necessity, for example, but it's something we wanted to do to enjoy that property. And so that's part of managing the house. You're going to continue as you live in that property, put food in the fridge. You're going to get the kids furniture and all that kind of stuff. You're going to make things happen. You're going to have to mow the lawn once a week or whatever might be on your property. You're going to manage that property. And all of those things that you're doing, for instance, to maintain your property are life skills that we're passing on to our kids that they would not get in an apartment, for example, in a rental. They wouldn't get those same things. They don't learn all of those other life lessons by just investing money. That's another tool. But there's only so much that you can learn from that and you can pass down to your kids from that. So I think real estate is the number one generational wealth building tool that you pass on to multiple generations. And it's not just the house. It's not just that, you know, mom and dad work, all that kind of stuff. It is all the life skills that go with it, too. Absolutely. Yeah, because when you're saying that, I'm thinking about watching my grandfather when he was at the house. We didn't have a bug person. My grandfather was the bug guy. He'd go outside, spray the house, make sure that, you know, we weren't having bugs in there. He was the one that wouldn't mow the lawn if we had little things that needed to be fixed that were outside of his realm of being able to fix. He would have someone hire them come in and do the same thing. And I think that was something that I never really thought about until you said that. And I'm thinking, like, as I'm looking at stuff in the house, I'm like, I do the exact same thing that he did. There's things that I can do myself. I can't do it myself. Then I call someone. And we're doing everything to make sure that we manage the house and the household, if you will. Talk to us a little bit about community, because I know that's something that that's important to you. And it's really important once you own the home, right? The community that you live in has a lot more importance when you own the home in it. Not that the community and homeownership was the same thing, but I just wanted you to talk about community. And, yeah. You know, your thoughts on that. Well, I wanted to share another story. Right now you were talking about how your grandfather was the bug man, too. He took care of the bugs, right? Well, I'll just give you a little bit of example of personal principle of mine, for instance. And that is, for instance, well, growing up, for example, my dad, both my mom and dad worked double jobs each. But on the weekends, my dad worked for the morning. We could hear him mowing the lawn at 630 in the morning. Then he would get on the cordless phone and walk up and down the hallway talking to my grandpa and then wake us up as kids. We all did our house chores. We ate breakfast and we took off and did whatever we wanted to do. That right there, I still do that every single weekend. Jose and I wake up. I don't mow the lawn. Someone else mows the lawn. But nonetheless, we know we're moving up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) up. But, you know, we take care of the house. We have breakfast and then we go and work. We go and enjoy ourselves and we have a good weekend and we do it again all the time. But those are principles. My dad had to mow that lawn to maintain that house. And he took care of his family. He talked to my grandpa. He fed us. He showed us the value of our work, too. Because we always had a beautiful yard because we put the work in and then he rewarded us when we had a family time. Those are values and principles that we learned all from housing. Believe it or not, it's because of that house, mm-hmm. right? If we lived in an apartment, my dad wouldn't get up in the morning to do lawn work. We wouldn't have to get up to do housework with him and probably wouldn't go out anywhere. We had no money. So those are kind of life skills that I think housing kind of brings in generational wealth. Like I said, I still remember that to that day, to this day, and I still pretty much and put it in my life every single day now. Community 
for me is very important, but I'm intentional about community. Meaning, for instance, when I moved into Madera Ranchos, where I live now, it's only 10 more minutes away from my office, for example, which is my second home. The intention when I moved out into that area, for me, it was to experience another part of my community. I was sharing with a client yesterday, or showing houses here in town, he's from the Bay Area, coming into town, asking me about Madera, and I'm telling him why over here, there's this kind of area, over here is this kind of area. And he asked me, well, how do you know? I go, well, because I've actually lived in every corner of this community. So my reason for living in the ranchos is intentional. I want to know that community. I don't want to just sell it. Now I got to go and experience it and talk about it too. I shop at the local grocery store over there. State Foods is in my now my go-to grocery store. I have my own little mini mart. I like to go say hi to my guy every morning and get my energy drinks and everything like that from him. And that's just all part of community too. It's nothing really different. I'm not trying to make any kind of political moves or anything like that in the Madera Ranchos community or anything like that. I'm just really trying to know my community. And I think that's why it's so important to me because I'm just so intentional about it that I really just try to get to know my community. My community is a lot of things. Emlyn, you are my community. My agents in this office are my community. My family, my friends, all that kind of stuff. The people that visit over here at the next gas station right next door, I walk over there and I know that guy, you know, by first name and everything like that too. Then there's the political side. I know the mayor, I have his phone number. I know the supervisors. I've ran campaigns for and against them. I passed school bonds, built schools here in town, all for the better of my community, not for myself at all. I was on a planning commission for a few years. My agent is now on the planning commission too for a few years, just trying to build the better community for myself and the next generation, for example. And that's my community. But it's right here where I live. It's right what I want to know. And now my new community that I'm kind of embracing too is the gay community. Now I'm gay. I've been gay my entire life. I came out probably about 18 years ago, probably the beginning of my career. I came out to my family first, of course, and then to my friends. But it was my personal life. It was my personal time. And I didn't talk about it because that was my personal time. Now I'm embracing my community. When I got asked a few weeks ago to go speak in front of South Madera High School to speak to teenagers, it was the day of the Uvalde Texas mm-hmm. school shooting. And the news broke as I'm speaking to these kids. And I'm reading the article and what's happening live as I'm leaving the campus. And my heart was just so, you know, just taken at that moment because I'm in a school and this happened at a school in another part of the state, all that kind of stuff, different circumstances, obviously. And God be with those families and everybody impacted nationwide and in that community with that tragedy. But we felt it here. And I was speaking to a new piece of the community about what was happening in real life. And so, yeah, community is very important to me, but I'm very intentional about it. I'm intentional about it. I'm intentional about this relationship. I'm intentional about my relationship with my agents. I'm intentional with public figures here in town. I'm just very much intentional with my community. I'm not just part of it. I don't just show up to the local fairs and enjoy a corn dog, whatever, like everybody else does. I'm intentional about these things. And that's why community is very important to me. I love hearing you talk about this because I get to see it. <laughs> like I, I get to see you, you know, the political involvement. I get to see the involvement in the schools. I get to see the involvement with things that are going on in the community. Both of us were, you know, very involved with things going on at the chamber when I was involved with the chamber. So I think that one of the things that is, is sometimes forgotten, and we live in a small community, right? There's something to be said about, and uh, everybody that were let's listen to this. And you guys, most people know that I'm from Madera. So Madera is the thriving metropolis of the heart of California. It is the thriving metropolis in the heart of California. So those that don't know, this is the geographical heart of California and it's a great city. 
what I would say is when you have an opportunity to get involved with communities, I think it's something that you have to do. And you also are like being able to express, open up about the gay community being a part of that. Like, I think that's huge as well. I think that watching you do that, I've said it so many times, there's so many people that watch you that you might not know. And your courage, like when you went to the school to talk about that, when you've been able to do those kind of things, to talk to people because you are a role model, because people look up to you, it's going to help someone. So continue to do that. Continue to share your story because that is your true, authentic truth. Let no one take that from you. Let no one quiet you down. Let no one hold you back because that has to be told. People need to hear it. And the person that you don't even know is probably the one that needs to hear it the most. Yeah. So I wanted to jump into some of these. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. And what I wanted to talk to you about are these, these few questions we have here. What motivates and inspires Alex to learn, grow, and continue to lead? I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, it's the truth. I don't know everything. And because I know I don't know everything, I continue to learn. I look forward to it. I've learned something from this conversation, for example, learn something about myself, learn something about myself, about talking about homosexuality, my gayness, if you will, and what it means to me and my life and everything like that. And so the reason why is just because I don't know everything. I know I'm not going to know everything. I think the day that I know everything, I'm probably going to just, you know, that's it. I'm dead. That's life right there, right? So no, I continue to learn things. doesn't have to always be about real estate for me. I like social media. I like TikTok, for example. I like a lot of motivational stuff off of TikTok. I get a lot of that from there, my motivation from there. Like you said, learning from different people I know, industry, all that kind of stuff. Just keep learning, learning something. Lifelong learning. Yeah. What I would say is, do you think that education plays a big part in wealth building? In wealth building, it does. But I don't believe that higher education is the only tool to wealth building. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it is one tool to wealth building. I also think that it's a limitation to wealth building. In other words, what we are taught in school always is from, at least from elementary school through high school, is you are taught to listen and then you are taught to do what you're told, right? Then in higher education, you're taught to think about different things and the world, but it's still within parameters of what our teachers tell us, what society tells us is still within these things. So in other words, higher education, you could learn to grow a business, start a business. You could learn to save money and invest in all those kind of things and why it's important to do so, but limited. I think, for instance, I myself, I graduated Madera High 2003. I went to a little bit of college. I did not graduate at all, but my success is learning because I'm an idiot, learning my way, right? learning the way my father taught me to learn, which was all those principles I was telling about, talking about a second ago. It's through community. It's through all of those kind of things, supporting one another. I think I've learned much more than I probably could through higher education. Not saying that higher education is not one of them too, right? But I do believe that education does play a role in wealth building. College, like I said, higher education is not the only one though. Mm -hmm. It is not the only one. So in other words, if you're not going to go to school, or if higher education is not for you, because higher education, say, for instance, most of us get into higher education to learn a trade. We're limited to what that income is going to give us. 
But when we go out on our own and you want to start a business, all that kind of stuff, you're going to just got to know you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be growing. And I think that's the importance of higher education to learn well and do wealth building too. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's, it has to be like the formalized education. I think that either you're learning, which means you're growing or you're dying. <laughs> there's, there's no in between. Like either you're going to continue to learn and you're going to grow. Or the one thing that I always say is you can either be a stagnant pool or a flowing river of new information. And no one wants to go drink from that stagnant pool. If you could offer a piece of advice for our listeners, piece or pieces, you can have more than one. If you'd offer a piece of advice or pieces of advice for our listeners, what would that be? I say this to my agents all the time. If you are self-employed, if you are in small business, if you work for yourself, which I believe this country has so many opportunities for you to do so, to work for yourself and be a success for yourself. If you do that, don't be a secret agent. Meaning, so for instance, for us in the real estate industry, I'm purposely here at my office on purpose. And I drive the same car and I park in the same spot every single day and I'm, I'm on a busy street. So I let people know that I'm here working and I'm not a secret agent about it. I'm not at home talking to you about this stuff. I'm here. When I go to a community events, for example, I am wearing my real estate stuff. And I'm intentional about my real estate career. I'm intentional about what I do and, and all that kind of stuff. So don't be a secret agent. That'd be number one. Don't be a secret. And I also, now I have to say, for instance, I have to say, if you are gay or not gay or anything like that whatsoever, don't hide that either. There's nothing to be ashamed about. I was never ashamed. I just always thought it was a different part of me. And that's over here. That's private. Nothing's private. And so I'm, now I'm intentional about uh, doing those things. So I would say, don't be a secret agent there. You're always going to learn and seek education in numerous ways, whatever fits for you. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I like both of them. Alex, if people want to get more of what Alex Salazar is doing, what social medias are you active on? Where can they find you? Where can they get more information about you? Facebook.com or slash Alexander E. Salazar. That's my handle or Instagram. And it's the Salazar group on Instagram is our pages. And that's where I'm engaging, I'm posting every single day, personal stuff, community stuff, what we're doing in the real estate industry. I'm very intentional on both of those platforms. I'm on everything else, but I'm just an observer on TikTok. I don't do TikTok. I'm not that coordinated. I'm not that talented. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm on it, but I don't do stuff. But Facebook and Instagram. All right. And we're going to get you on Twitter, right? We're going to get you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I just don't, you know, like to <laughs> We got to get you on Twitter. I think Twitter is going to open up a whole nother thing for you to get trapped in, in time management stuff. There you go. <laughs> Once again, just wanted to thank you, not only for coming on the show, for being my friend, for being my realtor, for being someone that I look to as, you know, I always looked at the trajectory of your career and always said, okay, if Alex can do it, I can do it. If yeah. Alex can go out there and do this, I can do it. And so you've always been someone that I've looked up to, someone that I've looked to learn from and someone that I've appreciated the resilience that you've had. Like I've watched you just over years and watched you grow and watched you evolve as a person. And it's been a sight to see. So I appreciate you, man. I really do. Thank you so much for all that you do. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Inland Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you.
While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know. That really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.